0: we're live i'm sorry we're a day late um it happens you know we're human
1: it is what it is bro we're here now happy to be here
0: yeah you know it's, you know maybe find a hobby you know we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> get to you there but you know uh, no disrespect we appreciate everybody and you know i also want to give a shout out to everybody that's rocking with us already up to 200 subscribers let's try to get to 400 in another month or whatever Let's get the money going so I can pay Dakota to be on the show, you know, so that's that should be the goal of anyone that enjoys this. Subscribe. I mean, we fast. can get
1: Lukey some better Wi-Fi, too, you know,
0: I think it's re- <laughs> I think it's really just my computer is just really um, not the greatest. But let's start with Virgil Ortiz, Dakota. A lot of people have been saying a lot of different things. What's your stance on the Virgil Ortiz situation? Outline it and then set set it up.
1: It's a uh, it's a complicated one, man. But it, it's impossible to avoid the fact that this has happened now three times to him. So there is something excessive going on. There's something excessive going on. He's overtraining. He can't get down to this weight, and the the lengths that he's having to go to to get to that are taking something out of him that he may not ever get back, man. And I don't. I don't know his personal situation well enough, but somebody on his team needs to to step in and say this is enough. We need to take a different direction. I feel very strongly about that because I just think he's such a talented kid. He's one of the best young fighters going right now, and the fact that this is this is where his career is at right now, I think is is um, is very sad. And I just I, I'm concerned for him as a person moving forward beyond just him as a fighter, you know, who's around him saying who's the reasonable person in the room?
0: Well, I think, I think that this kind of gets down to a bunch of different things, right? So first off, we know our good friend, Rick Marie, works with him. So we know Rick is a fairly reasonable guy. So that's a positive, right? We know Rick and we know Rick is, he means well. I think that there's going to be a natural – and don't jump on me, Dakota. promise you're not going to jump on my back and try to get – Promise. Okay. There's going to be a natural inclination to be nervous that this might be the classic father-son issue. Now, it might not be true, but I think that when these type of situations happen and there's a coach who only has one fighter and now they're running into reoccurring problems – I'm not saying it's true or not. I think that the big issue is there's an underlying health condition. And I think that the big issue is he's missed weight a lot of times. And people remember the recent missing weights, but remember when he was at 140 pounds or maybe you don't care, he was having issues with weight. And I was thinking about this today. I think this is a long, this is an undiagnosed underlying health condition that has uh, surfaced as a bigger problem in his life.
1: I, I, I don't know about that, bro. I, I'll i be honest. And I, I'm just going to come out and say it. Well, I we got to think- keep it
0: real. This we got to keep, keep it real. It real. We're going to push back.
1: We only know one way, bro. And here's the thing. I, in my mind, it's how much of the blame is to put on the father. Because if your father is in your camp in any role or position, you would think that if the type of training and weight cutting you're doing is putting your child in the hospital, not once, not twice, three times, that that's where you would be the person to step in to say, hey, guys, we got to change it up here. You know, my son is in danger. Um, And I'm not making a judgment about their relationship. I'm just we're talking boxing. And if we're talking boxing, somebody had to step in, and if it wasn't going to be him, I'm not sure who else is in the camp that would be able to do that. So, on some level, he has to be accountable for it. You know, when something happens like this, you don't only only blame the star player. If your team's not playing well, you don't only blame the star player. You know, some there's a breakdown here, um, and I think it's robbing one of the great young talents of the day of of kind of robbing like his Hall crown of fame fighter yeah Let's and it's kind it of robbing him of his crowning moment here where he's fighting another unbeaten young kid that we know is valid that we know is legit and it's going to give virgil that seal of approval and now he can't have that moment because nobody could just pull the trigger and say yo i don't think we can do this weight
0: anymore because i'm thinking about it i wrote this in my newsletter I don't think that Virgil should come back at 54. I think he should come back at 60 against lesser opposition and see how his body feels and see how that is. I feel like 54 might be risking it, bro, because we haven't, the welterweight limit seems like it's too much. We don't know what's going on. What's up with my brother G funky G funky. Thank you for coming on here. We love you so much. Great man. Um, I guess what I'm saying is we don't even know what the spectrum of the issue is. We don't know how his body's responding. Dan Raphael put out a report that he needed mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, which I believe, don't quote me on this if I'm wrong, I believe the father did some of that. Now think about what you just outlined. Now think about how traumatic that is for a father to see your son. So I think that, What's difficult about this is yeah, blame goes all around, but I feel like there's a lot of traumatic stuff occurring to the Ortizes firsthand and people are trying to place blame while they're basically going through a life-threatening illness and trying to figure out what's the best course of action.
1: But this is I, not this is not like a cancer, Lukey. There's a no, very specific said, way that you get these these issues he's getting. You know what I'm saying?
0: And and that's what I'm I understand where you're coming from because you're you're saying there's there's a reason it's only happening to this one fighter.
1: Right, he didn't come out with it's fucking Cro- he didn't come out with Crohn's disease or a food allergy or something. You know what I'm saying? He, he's coming down with shit that's specifically training related. The only kinds of people that get these these kinds of conditions are people who are pushing their body beyond beyond like CrossFit what it's supposed athletes. to athletes yeah
0: crossfit it's like it's people that look really really sexy this is a condition that's people that are obsessed with certain looks that are training to the brink let me ask you this virgil was training with robert garcia he's not training with robert anymore when did these when did this occur in relation to him not training with robert garcia
1: I think that's a great question, but I, I know that it didn't happen when he was with Robert. Um, and I don't know. I, that's where I'm less inclined to blame the father as if the what, what he's doing is why the kid can't get to 47. I think the kid can't get to 47 because he's too fucking big. I don't think that has to do with who he's with. It's just that his dad is his trainer, so it's on him as the trainer to say this is no longer appropriate. But I think that Robert obviously has a wealth of experience in this game um and if I'm being honest has a pretty good track record and I don't think he would have allowed it to get to this
0: point personally Does Virgil Ortiz ever fight again
1: I don't know bro I really don't like it's uh, it's you know I wish we had like a little more information about um
0: I be had- right there because I kind of respect the fact that they're not coming out and sharing all this stuff with the media that we're not getting Instagram posts and story posts with emojis. Like there's something in me where it's like, I really respect the fact that they're going, okay, we got a situation. It's a little old school, but let's button down the hatches and let's kind of think this through. We're not getting the, Hey, this is my favorite Meek Mill song. Let's attach it to a post. And here's something about, um, I do think in this modern era, though, that kind of kills them because everyone wants.
1: Well, and you got to remember, too, Lukey, you got people paying twenty five dollars a month for the zone subscription. And this is one of the biggest stars that's currently fighting on that network. And so when I pay my twenty five dollars a month, part of what I'm paying for is Ortiz versus Tanyonis. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping for those kinds of matches. And so, um, I'm not saying he owes anybody anything, but if a fighter is willing to reach out to the fans and say, listen, this is what's going on with me. I'm sorry. I can't make the fight happen. The fans are naturally just going to be more, you know, receptive to that fighter.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's a tricky situation, but you didn't answer the question, Bucko. What do you think? Is he coming back? Do we think, um, G. Funky says, "Verz Ortiz is the only reason oh, I man. have his own. And I feel like there, there's a lot of people in this category of guys like Verz Ortiz. Jaime Munguia might be another name out there. Maybe Anthony Joshua is one of those names.
1: Pacheco. Diego Pacheco. Pacheco's
0: another guy, right? But there's not a lot of those. There's about five of them.
1: There was a bunch a couple of years ago, and now there's not that many. So when we have a fight like this and it doesn't happen i think people want to really know why if you're invested in the sport both um, both emotionally and financially right we're the ones we're the investors here you know for 25 dollars a month i'm a fucking investor in this shit at this point so it's like i don't, I don't know I don't, I don't and i don't think that's exclusively on him but they i i think that they, they're in need of new voices how a, do
0: you feel about Oscar just basically saying hey man he's gonna go to 154 it'll be all good
1: I think that that's uh that's like putting a band-aid on a on a on somebody who's bleeding out you know what I mean like I just that I don't think that that's sufficient um I don't think making any speculation about what he's gonna do as a fighter right now is appropriate
0: but it's it literally seems like he's dealing with a very serious health issue. Yeah, he really needs to figure out what he wants to do, because there's a chance he could create long term health issues if he continues doing what he's doing.
1: If he hasn't already, you know, well, that's the part we don't know. We don't know what the the current damage is, you know, is this is there is there still a world class athlete there, you know, moving forward?
0: Our guys ringside reporter. Yeah. There's a chance Virgil Ortiz never box again. I don't know if that that is, uh, is that title town in the building in the chat. Do we get a little title town? Uh, there's a big chance he never boxes again. I mean, I, I really think that it, I don't want to be negative. Okay. I almost called you beep, but you're Dakota. You're not beep. Shout out shout beep. Out, shout out beep. Um, but I really think there's a chance. Like more there's a better chance Virgil Ortiz does not fight in twenty twenty three and twenty twenty four than there is that he does. And that's I crazy.
1: I agree. And it may be a necessity. It may not there may not really be a choice, you know, if his health and well being is first and foremost. You know what I'm saying? And think about this, like you said, you don't think 154 is cutting it. Like it may have to be 160 or higher. If 147 is putting you into the hospital, you know, and you're sitting in a bathtub passing out or whatever, like, what? you know, I know seven pounds is a lot in boxing. But if 147, you're at hospitalization, what is 154? Is that actually doable for you? It doesn't seem like it.
0: That's what I'm kind of getting at is that, like... I think that most people are thinking okay this is this is a, a simple fix just go to 150. I mean we could be looking at someone that needs to fight at 160 to 168. As as crazy as that sounds but that might be where his body is now.
1: Yeah. And, and listen bro. Just moving up to 154 that's the minimum. You know, if if something comes out that he's signed into a welterweight fight like what well, you know what the fuck Rings- I, 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 if 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 another fucking welterweight Virgil Ortiz fight gets on, I'm just going to assume it's not happening and that they're trying
0: to fucking kill him. Um, what do you think of this uh, ringside reporter live? are good friends. I don't think the weight cut will matter. Dakota, can you handle this?
1: Well, I guess which part of the weight cut? I mean, the rhabdomyolysis, from my understanding, is from uh muscle tissue like going into your blood. And that happens from over, it's a wasting syndrome. So it's, it comes from overtraining. So So, I think that would be the sole issue.
0: Yeah. I think, I think it's just a complicated issue because we're fight fans. We're, we're our expertise. Our PhD is in breaking down a fist fight. And now we're having to talk about medical issues and managerial duties. Um, yes i'm right with you ringside reporter i think it's an underlying condition um i i think that i i think that i agree with dakota but i also think that there's an underlying health condition here that may or may not be diagnosed just yet
1: well that may be true that may be true because
0: i feel like this is this is occurring so much that there's possibly Like, I think that what's troubling is ESPN ran an article on Virgil Ortiz that said they'd gone to the doctors and the doctors had figured out the issue. This reoccurred after they had done tests with doctors, which tells me something more is at play than what they originally thought. That's what I think.
1: And and I I wouldn't be surprised. I'm going off of what, like you said, they're very buttoned up. So I'm going off of what they've put
0: out into into the world. So let's, let's flip the script. We've gone 15 minutes into Virgil Ortiz. He didn't fight. Let's talk about Stanny Onis. Trained yeah. his butt off two different times. No disrespect to Virgil Ortiz, but this this guy showed up twice, got left at the altar. No concession. No backup fight for Stanny Onis. And once again, another really nice guy. Doesn't bash Virgil Ortiz. Doesn't do the media interviews fight week. Um. I don't know. I, I feel like boxing is a very cruel sport in a sense where Stanny is a fighter from another country who's just working hard. This was his moment to kind of step up. And because he's not going to be a jerk or a potty mouth, people aren't, people aren't going to say his name.
1: Yeah. I mean, listen, bro, he's definitely the, uh, the biggest loser in this situation is Stan Jonas because he now hasn't fought in probably well over a year because there's been so much buildup to this fight. Um, and and he does deserve a big fight. I don't know what that big fight is in this current welterweight landscape, but I got to be honest, bro. I'm really surprised they didn't have a backup after, you know. after Isn't that kind of crazy, time. bro? After two different times that this fight gets rescheduled, and now with Virgil's track record, like you don't have anybody credible. No
0: Alexis Rocha? You don't have Alexis Rocha on the card?
1: Right. There's there's not one guy at welterweight that they could have pulled in. No
0: Blair Cobbs? Blair's not on the undercard, you know?
1: Right. Somebody. I mean, let the kid get a fight in, at least. And and I I don't know, man. It seems like, you know, I forgot which fight it was, but there was, you know, the, I've seen multiple fights where credible fighters have been like, you know, staying in the gym just in case, and they're on the undercard. And if the main guy doesn't make it, they're this, you know, that's very common practice.
0: I understand that it was a WBA secondary welterweight world title fight. I get people giggle, but a, a WBA secondary belt still means an awful lot because Boxrick
1: says he's the WBA champion.
0: Dakota, you froze. What were you going to say?
1: Nah, you froze, bro. Um, I was saying that Boxeruck says that, uh, that Stan Jones is the WBA champion.
0: He's the WBA regular. Spence holds the super. So he's the secondary w- WBA welterweight title holder. Do you know what I mean? Because Spence is like the guy. Spence is holding the real belt. Right. WBA has multiple titles so I view that as the yeah. secondary and then sometimes they have a third dairy champion on top of that but I guess the my the only argument would be would Stani Onis be willing to give up a massive payday I think he was going to make a lot of money for this fight to not do a, to do basically a voluntary defense
1: right well listen bro I mean I even uh, beyond you know Crawford and Spence fighting you know and we'll, we're going to talk about boots and there's there are some other guys at welterweight but i i do think that he deserves you know um a big fight next and he's waited his turn and he's been a good sport about all of it you know he was ready for two different times for this fight and it wasn't didn't happen you know from no fault of his own so there should something good something should come out of it he should get you know the winner of crawford spent something
0: It's crazy, though, because when Boots, Virgil Ortiz, and Stani were coming up, I never thought he'd be mentioned in the same breath as them. And the longer he keeps going, the more I think he's right there with them.
1: Durability, bro. Durability. Like, that's always, like, a big X factor in boxing, right? Is, like, durability and consistency. Like, a guy can have flashes of greatness every round and not stick his way through a round. You know, somebody like Stan Yonis, just fucking consistency and durability.
0: The the zone makeshift card was pretty awful, if we're going to be honest. Uh, Floyd Schofield's an exciting young fighter. He fought Haskell Lytle Rhodes. Haskell Lytle Which one?
1: He did a great job.
0: I think he did, too. There was a lot of mental battles. I liked when he got cut on the cheek and licked it to kind of say, I'm not intimidated by it. Dropped him three times. But it was a tough sell as a main event because it looked very clear. Rhodes came in with the intention of not winning the fight, of not getting stopped. And that's going to kind of be a buzzkill when you had possibly an all-action main event that it's replacing. Uh, Any thoughts on Kid Austin? Because I think that he's now... Golden boys, next Ryan Garcia, Virgil Ortiz kind of star in the wing.
1: I really like Floyd, Schofield. I really like what he's bringing to the table for a 20 year old guy. He's got that, that thing where it's like, it's not just raw talent. There's a lot. He's like almost a complete fighter. He's like, he's more like a to me, he looks more like he's on the Jesus Ramos, uh, Diego Pacheco kind of track. And, um, you know, and you still gotta be careful with those kind of guys, right? Because you push them too hard, they're still young, and you don't know how they how they recover from that. But he looks like a guy who kind of has it all.
0: He he looks like he he looks like he belongs at the top of the card. Yeah, you know what Absolutely. I mean. It doesn't look like he's an imposter there. The power is real. I think that this was just a tough uh, opponent because he was fighting a guy that came to go rounds. He was fighting a guy that was that before he got in there said, I'm not going to get stopped. If I did my research right, Rhodes, I don't think has won against a winning opponent since 2014. So this is, this is a veteran guy who kind of knew where he was in the sport and he knew what he was doing in this spot. And I think when the fight got elevated, more eyes on it, he knew what he was going to do. I think kid Austin, he has to be on a list of the top 10 most exciting under 25 fighters right now in the sport. 100%
1: Hundred percent, dude. Hundred percent. I mean, it's a, it's like any any of these really young guys. When you show intangibles the way Schofield's showing, man, like this early, like you got to get excited about that, man. Like he he understands his distance. He understands his range. You know, Rhodes obviously was trying to go rounds, but he would let one fly now and then. And, and Schofield never walked into any dumb shit. You know what I mean? He was always right there. So I, I like I like the direction he's 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 headed in.
0: Ringside reporter kill in the chat. He responded well to the pressure to being elevated in the main event and short notice. Plus, he got cut and responded. Well, yeah, that kind of goes back to what I said. I thought that was one of the big moments in the fight. Was uh it, I believe it was right after he had dropped Rhodes a couple of times. Rhodes was surviving. It was an uh an illegal headbutt, caused a cut on Schofield. And if I remember right, you know, I'm a body language doctor. I believe Floyd licked the blood kind of very quickly to be like, no bro, that's not intimidating me. I'm not worried about that.
1: Yeah, I'm about this life.
0: Yeah, it was a it was a statement. You know, he was he was making a statement in that. And I thought that was quite impressive. Did you what did you think anything of JoJo versus Jerry Perez?
1: unfortunately i didn't get to see that one and classic the zone that fight is not available for replay so i wasn't able to go back and watch it would have been good to see that one though
0: typing up the show notes for those that are on the um you know watching on demand you can just go to whatever segment you want so i was hoping uh you know dakota would carry me a little bit there but jojo's having an alarming trend this is second fight flirting around the junior welterweight limit i didn't particularly love jojo at lightweight and now it's looking like he's fighting closer to 140 he's clearly battling some demons one of which being he's trying to stay sober there's been a very big change in his personality i um kind of so? more, what do you mean how
1: so how how so
0: I mean, he started out in 2012 as like a kind of an all-American, Olympian, bright-eyed teenager that was clean cut. And now he kind of looks like he joined a Mexican motorcycle gang and he's willing to drop an F-bomb at a press conference. And, uh, you know, kind of, you know, you want, you look at that, um, I don't know, man. Linares is calling him out. It just feels like his career is moving the wrong way when it looks at the weight classes he's fighting at.
1: Did you get to see him fight? Like, Did he look like himself? Did he look like a good fighter still?
0: I mean, he looks like a good fighter. He's getting hit a little bit more than I would have liked. Jerry Perez, on the other hand, is a very good fighter that people were disrespecting. He's not at JoJo's level. This is a classic Dakota line. It was a levels fight. You got an Olympian versus a very good regional fighter. Jerry Perez is very talented, but he's just not quite at the level of Jojo. I was a little surprised with how Jojo was getting hit. I think that could also be Jerry was really sharp and took this fight serious and might have been having it, but it Jerry won probably about three rounds in this fight. And I right. felt like that was a little alarming because I was expecting Jojo to kind of be a little bit more. Let me separate and show that I'm one of the best.
1: Would he have won three rounds against 2019, Jojo?
0: Well, see, that's the thing. Is like that Jojo from the Gary Russell Jr. fight from Tevin
1: Farmer. Tevin Farmer. Farmer was, a was a monster. A,
0: was a monster, and it's hard to kind of go back and look at that, right? Because like things change, but to my eye, it feels like Jojo slowing down. Yep. Like it just feels like the guy isn't the same guy. He still puts his punches together. He's got a good come forward style, but I think I'm seeing it in terms of the weight class is very unclear with him. We don't know where he's going to campaign. And it feels like the best version of Jojo is someone that's very aggressive that systematically breaks you down. He's still aggressive, but I just feel like when he's higher in weight, the punch volume isn't always going to, be the okay. output i'm looking and for. he's
1: not a big enough puncher to be a selective pressure fighter like that like he's got to do it on volume to some extent
0: and like that right that was a very close fight but the volume is i think what the judges didn't like from him like if he right. threw more he probably wins that fight he was very aggressive it was It was a perception fight. I think that was the definition of one person could see one thing, another. No one really pulled away that victory. I feel.
1: I mean, I'll be honest. I thought Mercito won the fight because there was just you know he was landing his jab really consistently, and if and JoJo wasn't, and if every exchange was equal, it just felt like Mercito's jab was the difference in most of the rounds.
0: But I mean, do you get what I'm saying? Like, there might be a guy that might go, "Okay, well, I like follow the leader." So I like that right. JoJo's coming forward. Like, it was a fight where whatever your stylistic preference is, you're probably going to see that in the victory. Right. Draw like a bit cool. A, yeah, it was a 51-49 type fight. They yep. were very, like, I don't think, you, but to me, I'm a little concerned with the direction JoJo's career is going uh, just based on the scale. You know, I don't, I'm not trying to be critical of JoJo, but I don't think he should be fighting at 140. He wasn't a big
1: puncher at 126. You know,
0: when I just I, I have trouble because he at 135, he struggled with the top guys. So when he goes to 140, what really is his ceiling?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's tough to say, too, right? Because in the three straight losses, the best guy in that streak was Haney and he gave Devin a hell of a fight, you know, so it felt like at 135, maybe he wasn't the guy. But he was like a real, genuine contender that could have given anybody hell. And I I don't know if that's the case at 140.
0: We will see. But now, my favorite guy, everyone knows I love my boots in us. And people were off the train. Now they're probably back on. To me, I, I listened to Beeb and Ringside. We Side stayed
1: 14. on, bro. We stayed on the fucking train.
0: We stayed on the train, too, too. Um, I saw some people being negative about this one, but I thought that Boots basically, the guy came out like Arturo Gotti. He he landed good shots. And then I saw some Boots meanness in this fight, man. I saw my guy Boots say, you know what, you're an inside fighter. I'm going to mentally break you. I'm going to fight right where you want to fight, and I'm just going to beat you up and mentally kind of get you exhausted. What did you see, Dakota? Did you see the same thing I saw?
1: I thought it was great, bro. It reminded me almost exactly of uh, Canelo versus Angulo, where you had the 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 really the the really tough guy coming forward and like landing a big shot now and then and making it interesting. But really, the more talented guy is just separating himself round after round. And I thought it was a great win for Boots. You know, it's it, it's it's the first like I would say legitimately top ten, top fifteen guy he's fought. Made him look like
0: he wasn't even a ranked fighter.
1: Yeah, exactly. And if he took a couple of shots, well, that's because he was fighting a tough guy, and he was, you know, he was taking the risks to get on the inside and let his hands go and throw combinations. So I don't, I don't think that, you know, the fact that he took a couple shots from this guy, I think just says like, oh yeah, he's got a really good chin. You know,
0: I mean, to me, boots like for me, my favorite era of boxing was my twenties to thirties. We had Floyd, we had Pacquiao, we had all these great, the emergence of Danny Garcia, Keith Thurman, all these great characters. Boots brings me back to that joy. Boots brings me back to like remembering a Mike Tyson, Roy Jones. There's something about him, like, I'm so jaded, but when it comes to a Boots Ennis... It's like there's something so special about him. He, he has Roy
1: crazy. moments, bro. He has Roy moments. He's not Roy, but he has Roy moments where you're like, "Oh, wow, I haven't seen that in a bit."
0: He brings me back to why I love boxing. That's yeah. how special Boots is.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think he, I think he's a really I think he's a really great fighter. I have no idea what Again, Virgil and Stanionis don't fight. So, I don't, he can't fight the winner. I think Stanyonis would be a great opponent for him. Um, I mean, obviously, the winner of Spence Crawford, but I don't know what either of those guys do after that fight. So, that's a wait and see kind of deal. But, I mean, yeah, bro, Boots, Boots is a, he's a special guy, man.
0: I mean, there's three names to me that I wrote on Pro Box TV today about possible opponents. Keith Thurman is one name to me. You put him with Keith Thurman, that's a great fight. That's a closer fight than I think people think because Thurman's a proud champion. Obviously, you can put him in with uh, Stanley Onis. That's a banger, two undefeated fighters. The sneaky good one, Cody Crowley. Yeah, Always a game guy, totally going to be there. And that's the type of guy that I don't think – I think that he's also a legend in his own way and i think cody would actually have a legendary fight with boots i think cody is going to have some Gotti ward moments in him
1: i think he could too i i do think as a whole that um boots' speed and athleticism is going to be too much but i think that Crowley is also like worthy of the opportunity to for, I, I think they i think it's a great matchup like i just, i just think cody's and put himself in position where he is one of the guys at walter white now
0: we gotta regret, reward guys that win. If yeah. guys that win don't like, guys that are losing fights should not get the opportunity to challenge Boots in us. We gotta bring some unity back to this.
1: I mean, should bro, if if Crawford or Spence lose a split decision and Boots fights the the loser of a split decision generational fight, I'm not mad at that. But you're right, guys that win should get rewarded.
0: Like, your Dennis Ugas lost to Earl Spence, I understand that could be a big fight with boots, but a guy that's coming off a win would probably be a more interesting fight.
1: <laughs> I like the winner of Ugas and Thurman fighting boots. That's the fight that I really like.
0: And that would be that would make sense, right? Because it's like these guys yeah. are winning fights that mean something in the division, and then you could match Cody Crowley up with Stan Onis, and the winner of that could go somewhere.
1: Where I get frustrated though is it doesn't even feel like it's worth talking about, Keith. Like I want him to be in the mix. I'm a huge fan, but it just feels like a waste of time at this point.
0: It certainly feels like Keith doesn't have a passion for boxing.
1: He he may have a passion for boxing, but I just don't. He's not in. He's fought three times in six years. Like I don't know what he wants us as fans to you know how he expects us to stay engaged with him.
0: Well, I mean, it, he basically had the two biggest wins of the welterweight division, and Spence passed him in the division by just him not fighting.
1: Yeah, exactly. Just It purely... Well, and, and Pacquiao beating him had something to do with that, but it's largely inactivity that's made Keith irrelevant. You know, even the Pacquiao fight was very close and very brutal, so I don't think anybody, you know, was writing him off altogether. It just seems like he he's taking himself out of the equation purely with inactivity
0: i love mean machine so mean machine against any of these guys you know mean machine's a real good fighter bro uh dakota do you want to talk about marquise taylor friend of the program he gets the upset win that's like what we're all about is a guy like marquise taylor we talked about this last week too bro we were like look marquise taylor everyone's gonna love yo elvis but Marquise Taylor probably has like, I haven't done the math, but it's like five or six B-side wins a real fighter. And when I say a real fighter, he's taken B-side fights with sheer belief, consistently won, goes in there and outboxes a guy that basically looked like he just wanted to land a big punch on him. Yeah, man. I mean, he really made Yo
1: Elvis look like he was out of out of his depth, out of his element. You know, it was very impressive. It's not the prettiest style in the world, man, but it's fucking effective. And he said it. he articulated it perfectly after the fight. He was like, if I give this guy any air, that's where the power comes out. And I just have to smother that and uh, do my work from that smothered position. And he did that effectively every round. I think he won every single round. I mean, I thought he would win that fight. I didn't see a shutout coming. and I think he got a clean sweep. Did you see the knockdown coming? No. I, you, listen, uh, you know, one knockout in his whole career.
0: You're not. But expecting- that's deceptive. His one knockout in his whole career. He's been fighting good fighters for most of his career. It's deceptive, but it's also not. I don't think Marquise
1: is a big puncher, but I think what he is is he's smart and he's accurate. And if 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 he times you right, he may not put you out, but he could put you on your
0: ass. I think that when he put Yoelvis down, Yoelvis was both embarrassed and then really confused. I think he's living yeah. a nightmare.
1: I think he was too. I'm I'm a little I'm a little
0: confused by him to be
1: honest. That Cuban school usually leads to a more like well-rounded defensive style and he strikes me as more of like a come forward plotting guy and uh, I just don't know where he would have gotten that style coming from where he comes from.
0: I think maybe the gym. Maybe he was he had Cuban accolades. But to me, it looked like when he spars, he just tries to knock everybody out. And he just took the way he spars into the fight with no game plan.
1: Yeah. And I'll be honest, man. I don't think that was Joe Goosen's best work. You know, when they would cut to the corner. I'm a big fan of his. The Corrales-Castillo moment is one of my favorite moments in boxing history. But I I just don't think that was his best work. And between... The kind of non-advice he was giving him, and then the translator—like it just looked like a a messy corner.
0: Well, it just looked like no, no one had control of the situation. It yeah. looked like Yo Elvis was just going to do whatever he wanted to do. Joe yeah. was kind of saying things, and the translator was trying to keep up to say something relevant to uh, Yo Elvis that made sense.
1: Yeah, and and listen, bro. If they didn't know how Marquise was gonna fight, like they could have gone and watched it. This is how this is what he does, man. This is what
0: he does every fight, bro.
1: He he, you knows, he's the- he he did he does what Tyson Fury did in the second wilder fight. He he smothers your power, he bullies you on the inside, he's really difficult to hit, and it's a lot to handle. He's a he's a tough out.
0: Richer a brill type guy. Yeah. You bro. Know, he's a guy that's gonna fight you on the inside, he's gonna work. He's a guy that it's Not really a fight fans fight, but it's an effective style and it shouldn't be punished because of that. If he can win fights, then that's, you know, I I think
1: he's I think he's fantastic, bro. I do wonder how he the lack of power at the top level. I wonder how he adjusts, you know, if he's in with a Brian Mendoza or a Fandora. I mean, he
0: deserves the chance, bro. I agree. No, I agree.
1: I'm talking about him like that because I think he deserves it, and he's right there. Now I'm in my mind like, okay, how does he match up with these guys? You know what I mean? Because I think he's right
0: there. I mean, I think Mendoza versus – I think him versus Mendoza is one of the most interesting fights possible. I mean, him and
1: Mendoza, him and Lubin, I think would be a really fun fight. I thought Lubin had a really good performance that last fight. Um you know that 154. There's a lot of fun fighters, and I think that Marquise, unfortunately, will be the B side promotionally against any of them. But I think he has the the kind of skill set that can frustrate a lot of guys.
0: Well, it will be exciting, Dakota. I'm excited for a guy Marquise Edwin De Los Santos outboxed Jer- uh, not Jeremy oh. Joseph Adorno. Did not see this type of performance coming from Edwin De Los Santos. Did we like write the book on him too quick, bro? He's fantastic. I don't. I'll be honest. I knew. I knew that he had
1: beaten Ryo. I don't think I ever saw that fight. So this might have been my first time seeing him. And I was like, "Yo, who the fuck is this guy, man? I mean, he's got a Subriel Matias kind of vibe to to how he bursts with his punches. But he's boxing from the outside. You could tell he hits like a motherfucker. Like." He's he's got it all, bro. 23 years old, boxing that smart, damn near impossible to hit the whole time. Like if I I saw I actually now that I think about it, I saw highlights of him and Ryo. So if you had asked me how I thought this fight would go, I would have thought he'd be the come forward guy and Adorno would be trying to box, and he was just a whole different level above him as far as skills.
0: And it's crazy because Adorno was a decorated amateur, really hot prospect coming out. To me, the big thing in a Pro Box TV plug, everyone knows I love my Pro Box, William Foster outboxed Edwin De Los Santos the first time I saw him on a showbox card. And I go, okay, Edwin De Los Santos, good fighter, solid fighter, but also a guy who doesn't keep a game plan. He's coming in with the Yo Elvis strategy, trying to seek and destroy. This fight made me go, oh, Wow. He has a different gear that we didn't see in the William Foster fight because when I saw him fight Ryo, I thought Ryo would win. He catches Mm -hmm. Ryo. I go, okay, he hits hard. This fight, I see him as a legitimate um, contender in this division. I view him as a very real guy. I don't know if he's going to ever hold a world title, but he's a viable contender. I think he could, bro. It just depends because, I mean, I was thinking him versus Frank Martin, who we're going to talk about soon. Him versus Frank Martin, that's a fight that we're probably going to see at some point.
1: I would love to see it, man. I mean, listen, he's hes kind of got it all in the way he keeps his jab out there and the jab looks like it's a power punch almost. You know, his footwork is great. He was very difficult to hit, his, his sense of timing and distance. And he's got that weird, like, bursting thing. Like, certain guys have that thing where – they have that standard rhythm. So you can kind of tell what position they're going to punch from this kid just sort of bursts. Like he's moving around and then it comes out of nowhere. And it's very difficult to time that.
0: Yeah, he's, he's definitely different. Um, I got some housekeeping, some news and notes, Anthony, Joshua, Dillian white is happening. They had a press. Oh, we're going to have G funky us a question before I got into it. Do you think De Los Santos gained any new fans from this performance? I think he heard his right talk after the uh, El Rao. G-Funky I think that the hardcore boxing purists fell in love with him and I honestly don't think the knuckleheads were watching this card to be honest. I don't really think there's a lot of like casual fans that tune into a boots in middle of the summer right after 4th of July weekend boxing card. I think there might be a couple but I think that this is a pretty hardcore fan base. Audience, what do you think, Dakota? Do you think there's the random mm-hmm. fans followed him from his last fight to this? There one? might
1: have been some, just because boots is a big deal, you know. So I'll I'll watch the boots card, but I I you know I I think if you know what you're looking at and and you've seen him before and the kind of more rudimentary approach he's had and then going to this like I think we saw I think a star was born personally and people, I think it was
0: a level up. I think he leveled yeah, up in this
1: big time, big time. And listen. A lot of great fighters been booed, bro. Bernard Hopkins been booed. Landy Lyra been booed. There's a lot. Floyd been Arthur booed. I'm sure
0: Willie Pep got booed. Everyone loves to reminisce yeah. on always the defensive wizard. You know, pretty much any defensively sound fighter gets booed.
1: Yep because it just by just by not getting hit people are assuming you're avoiding action but it's hit and not get hit and, and he did plenty of hurt. hitting in this fight he did plenty of hitting in this fight the doctor was checking on Adorno the last 3 rounds because it was it was one one way traffic
0: but i mean let's be real a lot of people are showing up in a nice outfit with a girl they're attracted to or a guy they're attracted to if they're a girl and um they want us just see punches so if there's strategy and they are five tequilas in, they might boo not because of the performance but because of their mind state. They might be restless and unable to sit down. The boos sometimes are a reflection of where people are at in the crowd and what they're consuming as opposed to the actual thing. Um,
1: we well, did and for- just, just, just to end, to, just to wrap that up, based on both of their approaches, right? Adorno's trying to cut the distance. De Los Santos trying to box. And not taking any shots. I just I, to me, you could see when the booze started, he kind of cracked a smile like, yep, I'm really I'm I'm giving it to this kid now. I'm I'm schooling him now.
0: I agree. Uh let's do our little brief Diego Pacheco moment because I think he's a breakout star. Diego Pacheco, very, very special. I mean, I think that probably my front runner for prospect of the year right now.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it'd be tough not to give it to him this was a fantastic performance. He completely dominated a really tough, durable guy. Uh, I mean, we saw when he fought vibes that he, you know, he took a lot of clean shots from vibes and he never slowed down. And Diego was able to, you know, to, to really kind of break him. Um, and this was, I guess, a test to see that. Cause Gallego's whole thing is like, a, you know, again, he's a, he's an Alfredo and type. He clearly hits very hard. You know, and he's going to try to walk you down and and rough you up. And it didn't seem to bother Diego at all.
0: Here's what impressed me about Diego. He beats you up, but he keeps his distance. So he's landing clean, hard, effective punches, but he's also keeping you at range. It's very rare to see young fighters that are able to do both of those things.
1: Yeah, and he does a really good job of it, and it's going to make beating him fucking really hard, bro. He's just you could tell he hits really hard but he's he's got like the like we're getting to see what he what the other things that he has it's not just a edgar berlanga where he's getting these quick knockouts and we don't really know what else there is like we're getting to really see that this kid can kind of do it all and the distance like you said from which he does it just makes him really tricky
0: he made a top 11 to 20 ranked super middleweight look lost and not even on his level.
1: Yeah, very lost and also f- like physically overwhelmed. You know, and I I didn't know if this was a guy you could do that to.
0: Okay, next one. Anthony Joshua Dillian White announced today Anthony Joshua at the press conference said he's tired of waiting on Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. He's oh, just going to fight the fights. Um what do you think of this Joshua that's kind of reacting to the fight fans you know saying that like I want those fights but I'm just tired of waiting around the heavyweights don't fight each other what do you think is self-reflective Anthony Joshua
1: I'll be honest bro that's kind of always been my favorite thing about him and the one area where I think he is underrated and not overrated I think he's overrated in almost every other way but I think he's severely underrated as a competitor and maybe as you know the one of the best competitors in heavyweight boxing if you look at you know who he has on his resume he's fought the most of his contemporaries of any other guy that's out right now so you know that's always been the thing about him that i have a lot of respect for is even when he loses he wants to go get that get back he's a he's a true competitor
0: i think he's the most relatable heavyweight too like he goes to interviews and says kind of what everyone's feeling, whereas every other heavyweight kind of feels like a politician. And not filtering it. Yeah. Like, I think that, like, the sense is every other division but heavyweight is making the great fights. And it's just kind of annoying that heavyweight's not getting it. It's pretty obvious this fight's not that appetizing to most people. It's probably not even that appetizing to Joshua, but he wants to get back and he's going to fight white. And. I think that he just let off some frustration, basically just saying, "I'm I want Fury, I want Wilder, but I just can't get these fights, so I'm taking this fight." And you know,
1: well, um, those two guys are a part of that post Floyd generation era that just don't fight. They're not active. I'm not sure why that is or what exactly they want that they're not getting. But as a fan, um, it's almost like intolerable at this point.
0: I think Fury's basically a retired fighter at this point. Like, I would think-
1: just come out and say it because when it comes down to him and Usyk negotiating, he's got plenty of time to get on a live stream and say dumb, rude shit. But he won't actually fight the fights if he's if he's a little rabbit. Why don't you go fight him? You know what I mean? And I, you know, I get that everybody wants to get paid properly. I think they should get paid properly as well, but. I just i don't I don't have a lot of respect for how Fury's handling this last chunk of his career.
0: Well, I I think what happened was Fury had that Wilder trilogy, and it's this iconic moment in the heavyweight division. And I think up until that point, he kind of felt like he was in the shadow of all these fighters. You know, he beats Klitschko, but he retires, and then Joshua kind of does the same thing and gets a lot more respect. I think he's really enjoying being a famous heavyweight like i think that he's really kind of smelling his roses and it it is a little off putting because i think that he's he's really victoring lap like he's doing a victory lap for about 2 years now after getting that final wilder win
1: yeah it's been a long time and i don't think anybody like i i think he's one of the greats ever Truly. Like, I think he's one of the best heavyweights of all time. There's almost no arguing that at this point, but um, it's like, should I get off the pot, bro? You either have to make the fights that fans are interested in because there's a couple of them. There's a lot of interesting heavyweights right now. And if you're not going to do that, I'm personally not going to judge you. I just want you to retire so that people aren't, you know, the other fighters aren't waiting on a fight with you as the, as the ultimate prize.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a wild one. It's a wild one. So that is our Fury update. Then also uh, Lomachenko told Shakur he wants to get his get back with Devin Haney. So he's not entertaining the, Dev, the Shakur fight offer just yet. He wants a rematch with Devin Haney.
1: I didn't see that. I mean, I think that would be great. I don't know if he can get Devin to come back down to 135 again, but I do think Lomachenko would win the rematch.
0: Oh, that's the news. That's our news segment. Frank Martin's fighting a guy named Artem. I don't know his last name. I know he was an Olympian. I think he's a 2012 Olympic bronze medalist. It's on Showtime. It's a WBC lightweight eliminator. That's a little confusing for me because Shakur Stevenson, I thought, just fought for a WBC lightweight eliminator. So is this Dakota? Can you answer this for me? Is this for the number two position in the WBC if Shakur is the number one guy?
1: um. I wish I had those answers for you, bro. I don't know, and I don't really understand belt politics other than uh, it being used often as a way to extort fighters.
0: Well, there you go. Um, But Frank Martin, pretty much if we don't know who the fighter is, I think Frank Martin has shown that he's that good that we just favor him over anyone. I think Frank Martin's earned our trust where we know he's a competent, highly skilled, crafty fighter and I very much doubt that a guy we haven't seen on television making his U.S. debut is probably going to upset him. What do you think of this, this bout?
1: I mean, it looks like a guy who's, like, on paper pretty qualified. You know, he's 12-0. and 0. Um, He, like you said, is a former Olympian. I just don't know enough about the opponent. It seems like they just want to keep Frank busy, and I think that they should do that. You know, I don't know if he's being offered the big opportunities at 135, and I'm sure he's been seeking them out, but I, I think it's another one of those where you just – you do have to stay busy. I mean, G-Funky, Martin versus Delos Santos, sign me up, bro. Sign me up for that one.
0: I mean, that's what we were talking about right there was, like, if a belt could come vacant, that would be a great fight. Sign me to up. me, this uh, – I believe that the opponent – I can't pronounce his name, Artem. I believe he beat a guy named Samuel Molina who was undefeated. That got him a high world ranking. To go after a a sanctioning body, Frank Martin and his team can't pick the opponent. They have to see who is the person in line to force this. So I believe this fight is simply occurring because this is the highest rated person to put them in line for a potential world title shot. But this is how we get these type of main events, right? Because it's like, here's this guy that we've never heard of, never seen on television, but he has a high world ranking and they're targeting the world titles and the networks want the world titles. So now Frank Martin is in a fight that potentially could be extremely dangerous because we have no clue who this guy is. This guy's coming in with house money, never fought in America. And um, really, really, we don't know. Like really a great well, under-
1: I guess for just for for some context, I'm just doing a quick little amateur research here. But he has an amateur win for in 2016 over Batir Akhmedov, which is a, a high quality guy right there.
0: Yeah, I mean these are the fights that I feel like if you're a boxing coach, you never want to be in these spots because the whole world is looking at this as like Frank Martin's gonna steamroll this guy. And if this guy provides any resistance, you can see the Twitter pushback of Man, Frank Martin just doesn't have it. You know what I yeah. mean?
1: Yeah, it's a lose lose because everyone everyone expects a dominance. If you don't get, and if you give them that, they're like, "Well, let's get the top guys." If you don't give them that, they're you know most people are not going to know that this guy was a high level amateur. I'm I'm listen, bro. He beat Carlos Adames in 2014. This is a guy with some high level amateur wins, bro. Like for real.
0: How do you think that translates to? what he's doing here though to the pro game.
1: I think it just translates in terms of being in with a variety of different styles and guys with different experience and, and, you know, um,
0: Ability Adamus, to adjust.
1: Is a, Adamus is a much bigger guy. So you're fighting guys with different types of power. And I don't, I don't think it applies directly, but you know, it's, he's been in with world-class fighters.
0: Is this a good feeler for where Derek James's camp is ahead of the Crawford Spence fight? Like, can we get a little bit of a a glimpse at like how that camp is being run? Is this like a little teaser?
1: I don't, I don't know, but I think that if it he has a tough fight, people will make something out of
0: it. The more we talk about this fight, the more it feels like this is a trap fight. it's definitely – it's not um,
1: a gimme, I don't think.
0: No, by no means. So now we're going to play a game. You love playing the Lukey games. Stock price, who would you invest right now? You're from New York, so you're a stock guy. Uh, um, William Zapata or Frank Martin?
1: At the moment, Frank Martin. I mean, I I, I like his game better personally, and I just don't – I think Zapata's fantastic, but he does get hit a lot, and I just think that Frank's got a style that could maybe last him a little longer.
0: Well, that's not a very fun game because I think I'd probably go the same, but I also think William Zapata is a guy that's very underrated. I think that people also look at his style and go, "Okay, he doesn't have some nuance," but I think that what makes him so scary is he is doing angles with high volume and throwing a lot. Um, I'm just that's curious two guys that happened. should fight. Well, I mean that. I'm kind of viewing Frank and Zepeda in the same exact spot. Like they're the they're the mirror images of each other, just with different styles.
1: Absolutely, I did. You know, I think, I think both of those guys are young, unbeaten guys in need of a marquee win to get them into a position for a mega fight. It's one of those where I think maybe they need each other.
0: Co main event, Nonito Donaire at 40 years old. In November, he turns 41. He's taking on Alejandro Santiago. It's for the vacant WBC bantamweight title. Nonito Donaire wants to break his own record, winning a world title at 38 years old. Now he wants to win a title at 40 years old, WBC champion. This is the belt, that in a way, vacated. This is a really, really hard fight for Nonito. Santiago is a high motor guy who's going to make him have to throw a lot of punches. This, I would not be shocked if Santiago sneaks out the victory because this is kind of the worst type of guy to fight when you're 40 years old.
1: And aside from being 40 coming off a knockout loss and some inactivity, you know, that's not a great combo. I don't know enough about the opponent, but, you know, prior to getting stopped, Nonito still looks like he's got it, so I'm not, you know, I'm not counting him out. He's an all-time legend, um, but it's definitely a test of like, are we going to continue watching this older fighter have a Juan Manuel Marquez Bernard Hopkins kind of ending to his career, or is this kind of the end, the end of the line as far as him as a top-level guy?
0: Well, I mean, I would assume win or lose, Nonito's going to retire. Wouldn't you assume because he's forty years old?
1: I wouldn't assume anything with this guy because ten years ago he was fighting at featherweight, and now you know, just a couple of years ago, he gave the baddest man, you know, under lightweight, the fight of his life. So I, you know, I I, Nonito he he could knock this
0: guy out in a round, like we wouldn't be shocked.
1: Nonito's just a different kind of guy.
0: I mean, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. If People don't vote for him first ballot. You don't know what you're doing.
1: I always think like a really great fighter, like some of the best to ever do it, at least in my era of being around the sport, are like guys that outlast guys who beat them. Like, Bernard did that all the time, bro. He outlasted Jermaine Taylor. He outlasted Chad Dawson. He outlasted Joe Calzaghe. He outlasted Roy. Like, anybody, uh, with the exception of his last couple of fights, anybody that ever beat him, he outlasted him. And I think, ultimately, that's those are the kinds of things that elevate you to, you know, all-time greatness. And I think that Nel Nito's doing something similar to that. Um, and it'll only... You know, he'll only continue building his case if he can beat this kid.
0: Here's a very Dakota fight. Elvis Rodriguez versus Victor Postal. Love Former it. Former sparring partners in the wildcard boxing gym. Am I wrong for thinking postal as a pretty good shot here?
1: I think he definitely does, man. I mean, Victor Postal is a fantastic fighter, you know. Hard luck guy. I thought he beat Jose Ramirez. Um, I thought the stoppage against Gary Antoine was horrible. You know, he's just he's been in with some of the absolute best of his era, and always gives a good accounting of himself. Um, and Elvis is still kind of proving his metal in a sense. You know what I mean? So um, it's a great matchup. I think it's a fifty-fifty fight for real.
0: Well, here's what I'm thinking. So victor postal sparred jose ramirez had a great fight i think there's something to be said that post knows how to fight guys that he sparred it's
1: well it never hurts right and he's a smart fighter he knows how to pick up on you know different things that guys are doing and and if he's seen you before i mean i i, I do think he has a chance i think he has a chance against anybody on any given night um it's just a it's, at times it's been a matter of politics at times it's been a matter of um just not quite being the guy but he's a he's a fantastic fighter. Mean,
0: this is the style he does really well against. Yeah. This is the style. Yeah. Victor Postall does good against guys that are aggressive that come forward that let him box.
1: Yep. Yep, he's and he's great on the back foot. He's a great counter puncher. You know, if Elvis wins this fight this really puts him in position as a contender.
0: Yeah, I mean, the guys that give Victor Postal problems are the guys that faint him and make him try to counter the counter and catch him. Those are the guys that you just never quite can beat. Yep.
1: But even then, you know, the fight with Josh Taylor was very... That was in Taylor's fucking prime, and that was a very tough fight. You know, that wasn't easy. I'm definitely not the only guy that thought he beat Jose Ramirez, so if he gets that win right if the politics are different. where Where is he at right now? You know what I'm saying? He's one of the best in the division. He's top five.
0: I think it's a sneaky good one. Uh, undercard, we got Quentin Randall. You did an interview with Q. Um, just a great guy. He's taking on Willie Jones. Willie Jones is a Ronnie Shields trained fighter. I think they've sparred each other. Uh, this guy, I'm telling you, I hope it makes Showtime Sports YouTube. This is going to be a fantastic fight. Q is just a, a guy that if you know anything about him he lost uh both of his children through tragic circumstances beat incarceration boxing was his refuge his peace his therapy he rebuilt himself in the prison cell and if you were ever around him you wouldn't even know about the tragedies he's faced because he's rebuilt himself into such a i wouldn't say kind but kind good person uh uh, I think uh, I read a Mike Tyson article about David Benavidez, and he said David Benavidez isn't insecure. And I think a big, a good word to describe Quentin Randall is you can just feel that he's not an insecure person in a great way. He's just very comfortable with the man he is. Dakota, what was your interaction in your Slip and Weep podcast with Quentin Randall, and how are you, how are you feeling going into this one?
1: I I think he's he's an extremely talented guy, but he's like a very self aware fighter you know and i because i was i I was asking him questions just like you know um why you why don't i get to see you know if you were the captain of the team with jared and Shakur and all these guys why don't i get to see you on all these top rank cards you know where's quentin randall in that lineup and he would keep it about like he was like listen man like it's because i'm a little bit older so i gotta beat some of these like he's just very aware Of where he sits in the sport and why he sits there and i think he has a clear vision of what he's gonna have to do to get over that um there's a lot of parallels between him and bernard and there are a lot of obvious
0: role model for him too
1: yeah and i think he knows that too um you know bernard didn't get his flowers in his 20s either so i I just think that quinn's a really good underrated fighter who who's aware of what he's up against and i think You know, I think he's got the skill set to to hang with anybody.
0: I just he's a good dude. I'm a fan of his fighting style. I'm a fan of him and his coach. And I mean, I'm not sure there's a better distance fighter in America that's not named Shakur Stevenson. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about one of the best distance fighters in America.
1: I agree. I agree. And he's 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 really smart. He's really difficult to hit. He's is another one of those guys like De Los Santos where he has that burst timing. You know what I mean? Like it does kind of sometimes it kind of comes out of nowhere. Uh, and I know he doesn't have a lot of knockouts, but I I do think that that, that bursting thing that he has is going to be tricky. And I, 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 I also about, bro, believe – I don't think Arrow would have him around if he wasn't a real one. You right. know, let's just be real.
0: And he's still in the camp. That's what I'm saying. He was in the, the all-access video it looked that looked eerily similar to Quentin Randall. It's pretty obvious if they're filming the all access video and Quentin's the guy in the ring when they're filming, that's the good work. There's a reason no, for that. Yeah. That's the good. The camera guys are like, Oh, that's the good sparring. No disrespect to the other guys, but I think that he's the guy that's the lead. He's fighting the best version of arrow. And then the guys are coming in after him. But Really follow him. Willie Jones, another good story. We don't just want to – Willie, if you watch this video, we're not hating on you. We just don't know you. Uh, Willie, two-loss fighter, went to Ronnie Shields, rebuilt his career. Good, aggressive fighter. This is an eight-rounder. This is a good Texas eight-rounder. I'm very excited to see this. Uh, Freddie Rojas Jr. on the undercard. We love a little Freddie Rojas Jr. Outstanding amateur. He's going to be in a 10-rounder that's about it for this. Let's go over to the zone. Uh, your girl, Alicia Baumgartner, She's going to be trying to be get back gang fighting. Christina can't pronounce her last name. Um, how do you feel with this being your $25 this month?
1: I'm not happy about it. I mean, I'll be honest. I'm not happy about it. I haven't been happy about it since they upped it to $25, but I do think it's cool that Alicia is trying to get some get back on the one loss on her record. Um, I thought that she'd be in more big fights quicker after the Michaela fight. I'll be honest; I thought that she would be. We'd have Baumgartner Serrano signed already. You know, we'd have Baumgartner, yeah, and Chantel Cameron. We'd have, you know, a rematch with Michaela. I thought those kinds of fights were coming quicker, and I'm not sure why they're
0: not. It is a little strange, right? Because like I've always referred to her after beating Michaela as an A-list celebrity in the sport of boxing. But it's definitely feeling like she's having a very anonymous 2023 despite winning the undisputed title. it It's very easy to miss her fights this year. And I thought that her performance against Michaela Mayer, a lot of people formed a deep emotional connection with her. And I guess I was like you, I, I viewed her as a vibrant, cocky young star that was going to force these fights. Maybe that's what's coming after this fight, but... I don't really know much about this opponent. I do know that the opponent's only lost to Katie Taylor and Delphine Pearsoon. So this. And beat Alicia. And beat Alicia. No. I mean, there's just, we're going to learn a lot about Alicia in this fight basically. And I'm going to lay it out here. Is Alicia happy with this moment being undisputed, bringing an undisputed championship back to Detroit, or is she trying to be an all-time great? I think we're going to find that out in this fight.
1: And her last fight against Elham Akalad, that was a great performance. That was not a a nothing opponent. That was a tough opponent. I just, it seemed like from the way the Mayor fight went down and the card that it was on and the significance of that night, that it was like there's a mega fight coming after this. And maybe that's coming and maybe it's just Michaela moved up in weight and I don't really know who's at 130, but the way these females are changing weight classes, it just seems like, you know, you're right there, you you know you're in the mix there's you know I'm there's a part of me that's like, why is uh you know why is Amanda Serrano about to fight Heather Hardy if you know if Alicia Baumgartner is fighting Christina, I think it's Leonard Da too
0: I mean, the problem is I don't even know what Christina looks like, yeah, like you could just put a photo up, and I'm not talking bad about you Christina, if you find the video, but it's hard for me as a person who follows boxing, you get this compelling figure, Alicia Baumgardner, who's very good. Christina also is very good, but it would, it would have been very nice to see Christina win a fight, get acquainted with her and then have this fight. Um, I don't know. It, it's, it does very- have some
1: ability. She does have some ability. You know, she was relatively competitive with Katie. I don't think I've seen her fight with Alicia, but if she beat her, there there is a part of me that's like I'm not mad at her for taking this fight. You know, if you if you're not going to have one of those mega fights, I don't see a problem with taking a rematch with the only person to beat you.
0: You know. And I think I- it's also get back because Michaela tried to fight her and then it didn't get sanctioned, so I think she wanted to fight her before Michaela sure. could fight her, you know.
1: Sure. I think that makes sense. It's not a bad fight, but like like you said, we were expecting something more.
0: Well, it's like Alicia Baumgartner came out of that night, Shields, Marshall, Mayor, Baumgartner. She is the one that had the iconic moment. She came out to like a Cardi B song, did a dance, had this like fast start. The fight was probably a draw on my scorecard. Uh, but people really took to the way she performed. The reason a lot of people think are so passionate about saying she won the fight is they were drawn to her personality. They were drawn to the way she carried right. her. Like it was the, the I was drawn she, to it and
1: I didn't think she won,
0: but that was, it was like, she was so obviously like the person that carried the card. when we look back on it, because her personality was so large and big. And then she goes to this card. I can't remember. You went to it. I think it was, a maybe Amanda Serrano's yep. fight. Yep. And it was just this very kind of sleepy, underwhelming kind of feature where she becomes undisputed, but it was kind of ho-home and she, you could easily miss her in the crowd kind of. And now she's coming home and I'm I'm just kind of I know it's wrong to say, but I'm kind of hoping she brings the animosity back.
1: And let's I'm- be real, bro. She was on the same card as Amanda Serrano and everybody in Press Row is like, are they going to announce her and Alicia after this? Everybody's talking about that, bro. And then they announced the rematch with Katie and that didn't wind up happening. Unfortunately, I think it will at some point, but that's what everyone was wondering. It's like, Alicia's a main event fighter. Like the only reason to have her on this card would be that them two are going to fight next.
0: Yeah. It just, it's been a weird 2023 for Alicia. I think part of that probably too, is the budget. Like she probably merits a lot more money now. So it's like, she's going to be on these cards. She's carrying a card at home. I think it is cool for Detroit. They're getting two cards in basically two months, both headlined by women's fighters, which is shout out to Detroit. You know, if you're a fan of women's boxing, then there you go. Um, But for me, Alicia, she's got to do something right now. Like, because the last performance, she kind of slipped off of the radar. She is a big fight fighter, and I want to see her in big fights. Agreed. Uh, Let's go over to Montana Love, Richardson Hitchens. They're no longer fighting. That sucks. Why? Uh, You actually broke the news to me. Oh, wait. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) You broke the news that uh, Montana Love or Richardson Hitchens posted something on Instagram saying they're not fighting. Um, Really unfortunate because Richardson Hitchens to me is in that Diego Pacheco zone of being a breakout guy. I think it's pretty safe to say Montana Love kind of feels like a regional talent with a with a big city personality. He's got like the main event personality, but we're not quite seeing the main event performances in the ring. It would have been a great moment for Hitchens, I think. And now we just do what we do, which is wait.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that is a bummer. I think Hitchens would have dominated that fight at this current moment.
0: Another one, Andy Cruz, the Cuban Olympian. He's going to turn pro with boots, and it's his father. uh, Fighting, hey, what is his name? Juan Carlos Burgos, who Keyshawn fought in December. Pretty obviously a statement saying, hey, Keyshawn, what's up? You want this? Like, I feel like that's a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I'm turning pro against this guy you just fought. Um, he has two wins
1: over Keyshawn.
0: He has two wins. Or maybe yep. three, but he has the gold medal win. I mean, they're rivals, right? You know, sure. they're they're talking he's already. A f-
1: he's a fantastic fighter. Who, Keyshawn or Andy Cruz? Well, both of them, but Andy Cruz is a fantastic fighter.
0: But we got to see. Now, this is the Lukey segment, okay? We got to see if he can translate to a pro. Because this is the thing about him when I watched him in the Olympics. He's very good at what he does. He loves doing his dances and all that stuff but he has like a habit with his left hook. He loves to stand as tall as the the Statue of Liberty and throw that left hook. And he loves to, like, he thinks he's a steezy dude. He does the, do you know what I mean? Like when he pivots out and it's like, it's totally gonna slap and it's not, I'm curious to see how he looks because I've been in the minority and I could be really, really bad watching boxing and watching boxing's 50, 50, right? We're quote unquote experts, but we still get most, we get half of the stuff wrong and we watch it more than anyone. I see a lot of talent with Andy Cruz. I'm not sure his style translates to professional boxing. Uh, and
1: you could be right, but I think any amateur that you watch, at least for me, I watch all of them thinking, like, well, there's a lot of different adjustments you're going to have to make when you turn pro. He's no exception. I don't think he'd have multiple wins over Keyshawn if he wasn't a really high-level
0: guy. Oh, he's he's a tremendous thinker and he's a he's a chess player. I'm just curious to see how he tries to weaponize his talent. I'm curious because to me, pro boxing, what I've learned over the 10 or so years of doing this is I used to be talent, 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 talent 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 but there's a level of just being physical and i'm curious to see how andy cruz in his pro debut look burgos is probably gonna have one foot out the door if we're being honest he might show up to win but he might also know okay i'm if it gets tough i'm gonna just survive and go the rounds but how does andy cruz respond to the physicality of the sport of boxing because we have no clue how he responds to that the headbutts the rabbit punches. Hey, but
1: listen, bro the the Olympics they're not doing headgear anymore. You know.
0: I was there headgear for the. No,
1: them and Keyshawn fought no headgear.
0: They fought no headgear because I watched it. I just can't remember. I can't remember, but I'm I'm cautious with Andy Cruz because I remember sure. he like when it was all the great amateurs all the great amateurs right my favorite guy was Iman kitato I really liked Ben Whitaker these are my guys and I know I'm keeping you on here you look bored to death we're going deep dive in <laughs> the tunnel but uh Andy Cruz was a guy where it's like I see the talent I know he knows how to win but man like he has to maximize his talent each and every fight like he can't kind of just have that one night where he catches a guy and drop well with the pro if he's he's in with a guy that's way worse than him of course he can. But to me he's a guy that has to always have a high motor and do a lot of stuff. Now but
1: my instinct tells him he he has a lot of layers he hasn't shown too.
0: I'm just very this is probably one of the most exciting pro debuts for me because I feel like he could, the results could be anywhere from a draw to him getting dropped to him stopping a guy in two rounds. I feel like there's like I haven't had this wide of a variety of outcomes since Robesi Ramirez turned pro. Yeah. Like, this is, like, I don't there think. There
1: may I, be a learning curve the same way there was for Robesi early in his career. You know, yeah, that and might I be think a it's, thing.
0: it's interesting, too, because Boots Innis' dad seems to be a very good coach, but Boots Innis' dad is taking over the responsibility of Andy Cruz. Now we're going to see how that training method works with Boots' dad.
1: Or even, and I think, if anything, just being in, in, a gym with that Philadelphia style is going to help him adapt to the physicality. You know what I mean? That's going to, it, the, he's already adapting. If that's the situation he's putting himself in.
0: Also on the undercard, Jermaine Franklin and Mark Castro will be on this to card. Do you have any thoughts Dakota? Who's he fighting? Uh, I didn't even bother to look up the opponents. Neither opponents are. Well, no, I like Mark Castro. I like Mark Castro too, great amateur, and I think that uh criminally underrated. I think he's really tried to um kind of cater to the fans and be a beloved fighter and gotten some criticism for being so publicized early in his career, but I think he's a great fighter. Jermaine Franklin, I feel like, is trying to do that mess around and land a Jared Anderson fight, you know, fight around where Jared is. Get the win so he doesn't have a loss. See if he can sneak in there. You know, this feels like a kind of a classic eight or 10 round decision. Can't be mad at it. Can't be mad at it. You know, a blue collar, a blue collar one. But let's be honest, bro. This is not a very good to zone card, if we're being honest.
1: It's not the best. It's not. We're not getting any $25 a month cards over there.
0: Well, look, your two best, arguably the two best fights of the card was Suleiman Saseko taking on janelson figueroa that fights off and montana love versus richardson hitchens the two most interesting matches on paper are now off the card um and you basically have kind of like a glorified club show yeah you know built around alicia bumgardner and i think the excitement for this show building up to the fight will be how well does alicia sell this fight in the build-up Because the better she sells it, the more excited we get about the card. Right. How
1: passionate is she about getting that get back?
0: Yeah. Like, can she do some clips that jump into your Instagram feed and you start going, oh, man, I want to see this fight. Do they have an intense weigh-in? Does she wear a crazy outfit that you go, wow, that's crazy? (laughs) Like, what does she do to get us looking? Because I don't see anyone on this card who's going to push the issue. Like, do you see Andy Cruz? Like, Andy Cruz is probably going to have a crazy Versace outfit. Like you just went to the best designer store and just picked out all the craziest looking things. but it's like nobody on this card is gonna be a compelling figure I feel.
1: Probably not. There's there'll be good fighters. I don't know if they'll be compelling figures.
0: Yep, so that's that Dakota. I would go to, through the club shows. I'm utterly bored. Um, we've done enough of this. Like Josh Kelly's coming back. Golden boy has a DAZN card that might be on YouTube as well. It's a club show card. It's got a guy named Alan Picasso. I've never heard of him. Cool uh, Aaron, Aaron Silva is a super middleweight that I think is really, really good. So I'm going to definitely watch him fight because I'm a sicko like that. But there is just like a lot of random stay busy fights that are probably going to lead into fall fights on DAZN. Like there's like four or five club shows on the zone this weekend. Which shout out to the zone for trying to do that. They're probably getting the best programming for that. They're just not creating those stacked cards like when they entered the marketplace. Um Dakota, you made it through, bro. I I put you through the ringer today.
1: Nah, it was a hell of a show, bro. There's a lot to cover. It's good that there's a lot to cover and that boxing is moving and grooving a little bit.
0: What's your pick for the week? One fight. We're gonna start a new segment. Pick of the week. Um, one fight. What are you watching?
1: Oh man. I mean, bro, I think the fight I think you already know what I'm gonna say, but the one that I'm gonna have my eye on is Edwin Rodriguez and Victor Postal. That's the low key banger, I think, of the week. They could also decide who's gonna continue kind of being a moving, a mover and shaker at 140, which is a very exciting weight class.
0: I mean, I'm not mad at that one. I if I was a betting man, I'd probably put my money on post all because I feel like he's especially like with the Ukraine conflict. I feel like that you never want to fight a guy that has maybe a little extra motivation, a tough guy, all that. I think that I'm gonna go a homer pick. I'm gonna go if, if Showtime Sports uh picks up Quentin Randall versus Willie Jones, go support a blue collar guy that's fighting for checks and doing it. Both Willie Jones and Quentin Randall are very good fighters. I wish that the Showtime Sports telecast didn't have the talking heads and made the boxing in a square. I wish we could That's have a weird boxing one. as a just an event with commentators. I don't need to see the commentators when they telecast to me. Um, I'm not really sure how that's an enticing feature to some people. Yeah, and only
1: on the on, on the uh, non on the like the YouTube undercards do they do that. I don't understand that aesthetic.
0: I am happy that PVC is now showing us the undercard, but they are giving it to us in the weirdest way possible. I also really like
1: them. both of those guys, but I don't understand that format at all.
0: My guy BC, I love a little BC in my life, but it's, it's like great. they. They put them in the position where like you're not going to like them. And I just feel for them because they're actually good at what they do. They're just put in this weird position where they're putting their faces on the thing. It seems like, why don't we get just an HD image of the fights and just let them commentate because they're very good. I think BC in particular, when he's calling the action, it's fun. It's a little goofy. Luke Thomas is a little bit more serious. They have a great chemistry amongst each other. I and I feel like the way that they format the visual on the screen really takes away from the great storytelling they do.
1: And from the fight.
0: The storytelling in and out of the ring. Yeah. You know, um, but my pick, that's our new segment, Fight of the Week. Um, so basically we're saying Showtime card, and we're going going—we're going deep dives. So you're going undercard guy. I'm going, hey, you, if you don't even have money, watch the fight on youtube you know you just gotta yeah. go to go to mcdonald's you know take your cell phone go to mcdonald's use some wi-fi you're good go to um, a
1: staples that has internet
0: yeah home depot you know if you're going to buy some dewalt tools or something dakota please inform the audience that have made it this far what what you're doing this week i almost thought you had like a crazy tattoo like you had all these tattoos but it's your shirt no nah, um, that would be pretty cool that would be cool, man. So. uh What's the what are all the stuff that you got coming out? Um promote yourself, bro.
1: Well, I mean, we just talked about him, but please go watch my uh, episode ninety-nine of the slippin' we podcast with Quinn Randall. Um, I thought it was a great interview. He's a really interesting guy, really great story. Um, and there's a lot of those in boxing that don't necessarily get enough shine. So I appreciate him for coming on uh and, and spending some time.
0: That's it. You don't. You're not going on any other podcast. You're not posting to ITR this week. You're just, just one. Just uh,
1: I'm. I'm on the work schedule this week, unfortunately. Okay, so, so you're. I don't, I don't have as much content coming out at the moment, but um, I, I will in the coming weeks for sure.
0: Okay, so you know it's a little bit slower week. So if, if you want, you know, go and jump around to some other stuff. You know what? We're gonna do one final segment before we get out of here. I lied. Uh, who? Let's do a clickbait video real quick. Are you ready to do a clickbait video? Let's do a clickbait video to end the program.
1: Do we got to make a dumb face?
0: No, we're do not we going to. We're, like we're, we're a little too old for those, and I think we just don't have that sauce to make it work. Who is Tim Tzu? Who is Tim Tzu's next opponent? Brian
1: Mendoza. Easy answer. Why? Because Brian Mendoza just knocked out Sebastian Fandora. Jamel Charlos fighting Canelo. What's the other interesting fight of the moment? I think that's the one, man.
0: Oh, I agree. I agree with you. But what if Mendoza and Fandora do a rematch? What if there's a contractual rematch or they, they seek that rematch, that get back gang? Where do we go from there? Is Marquise Taylor in the running to land a Tim Zoo fight in Australia?
1: That might be pushing it, but I, you know, I, I could see it being, um, I could see it being either Lubin or Jesus Ramos.
0: I, th- I think my guy Jesus Ramos is a little too much for, uh, for Tim.
1: But that's the fight. You know what I mean? That's the matchup.
0: I mean, I think that's a little ways away. I think Lubin. I don't know,
1: bro. I don't know. I think Jesus right there, bro. No,
0: I think I think Jesus beats Tim right now.
1: I kind of do too, but I think it's a genuine 50-50.
0: I I don't. I think it's a levels fight. I think Jesus Ramos is a different level. And I know that's going to sound funny to people, but it's like I think Jesus has the ability to box and bang. I think Tim Zhu has to methodically bang. I think you see Jesus. And then I think also with Jesus Ramos fighting Tim Zhu, um, Jesus has the ability to possibly be bigger than Tim Zhu. And I don't think that Tim has fought a guy as physically big as that.
1: I think you can go vice versa, though. I don't know if Jesus has fought a guy as big or as good as Tim Zoo.
0: Do we have any dark horses? Like, could Errol Spence Jr. sneak in here? Could Terrence Crawford sneak in here? Uh,
1: I mean, the winner of Spence Crawford could easily sneak in there if they want to if they intend to move up to 154 and i, I think Tim Zoo is a very exciting guy i don't know that he's getting all, in my opinion i think he should be getting a little more uh praise for what he's doing but i think the fact that he's the son of a famous guy you know i think people at the moment are less inclined to get excited about him at least outside of australia
0: i'm very excited about Tim Zoo and i've told people he's like a seo dream child if you're making content if you just put tim zoo in the title people just love to click on it and um i don't know man like to me there's three possible fighter of the years it's tim zoo gervonta davis and teofimo lopez there's no other names those are the only names
1: for fighter of the year
0: who else could you list i'd have to sit on that for a moment well honestly
1: i will go sit on it
0: I, I mean, to me, it's. I think Tim and Tio are kind of like the 1A and 1B just because Gervonta, um and our guy, Shushan Boxing, he's got a podcast in a couple hours. Um, I think that the big thing with Tim Zhu is it's like he he forced the action. Tank not being critical, right? Tank has fought a guy moving up in weight, and he fought a guy coming down in weight. T.O. Yep. fought a guy that he was supposed to lose to and looked fantastic. To me, I put T.O. and Tim a little higher than Tank. Uh, yeah, I agree. There we go. Okay. Shine, I'm going to be listening to your podcast. We're done. If you want to hear the show, rewind it. I put the timestamps out there. Dakota, you're the best.
1: Yeah, don't worry.